Welcome back to Arts About. Show about art that's a work of art in itself. Good morning, Mark. Sitting there looking like a professor with all your bits of paper. Good morning, John. Good morning, Sally. Good morning. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to Arts About on RWPFM, the show that's brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here in the RWP studios with us, artist-in-residence and cultural sounding board, John Baird, the obtuse and surprising Mark Stewart, and me, Sally Bailey. What are you going to be giving us this week, John? Well, as we're all aware, mm-hmm. um, the NGV very kindly invited us along to have a look at the MoMA show at the media launch, and we did that. And I thought I might talk about it. Yeah, that's good. It was terrific, wasn't mm. it? Mark's looking at me with a question. Mark, what about you? What are you going to talk to us about? Uh, also Mark? about the show and, all, yeah, and a bit about sexist and uh, promiscuous and bad people uh, who are also great writers. Oh, okay. Uh, how that affects people these days. Yes, I think uh, any positions of power can be wielded in many different ways. I'm of not course. sure if they had they even thought of it. Cultural power, power, social power, wouldn't you, don't you mm, think? Don't, no, I don't think it has anything to do with their sexuality. But look, we'll, we'll talk about it. No, but in how they perhaps how they wield it. Mm, well, the, the great example of artists um, behaving like perhaps not like you'd expect an artist to behave is, of course, Caravaggio. Mm. And he was fantastic, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, he was a bit of a larrikin, wasn't he? Oh, he was a murderer. Oh, well, so was yeah. Rambo, so was Baudelaire, so was so many. Were they murderers? Go, you know, what we're, they're talking about really is whether a, a good writer has to be a good person. Right. This is the thing we're, we're dealing with in our modern society at the moment, and it's having a huge effect on yes, well, what people can see and what they can see. Clearly, a good writer doesn't need to be a good person. No, I agree. Mm. But uh, a lot, a lot I'd don't. say it's a given. Yes. <laughs> Even in science, I mean, whether you can be a you're a good scientist and and be a bad person, where uh, we can't put them, we can't conflate it. It has to be se- separate. But anyway, we'll see. Mm. Okay. Well, on the show today we have artist and painter and academic Dr. John Neeson, who has completed a residency at Police Point, Point Nepean, and uh, he's going to be talking to us about the event. He had an open to the public show at the end of his six week residency at Police Point quite recently, which mm. didn't seem to get much press. I wonder why the council or whoever that body is behind it are not promoting it, because clearly the work and the artists that are going down there are doing some amazing things, and we'd like to hear more of it uh, certainly. So call out to the council. Let's hear a little bit more early enough that we can um, get down there and see what's going on. Also, celebrating the important and often overlooked contribution that women have made to the rich and traditionally male-dominated music industry, we're going to be talking to Tracy Hutchison today. She's the co-producer and chair of the Advisory Council for the Women in Music Awards event that's coming up in October in Brisbane. We're going to find out all about it and how you can now nominate your selected artist or practitioner in those awards. And so in recognition of sexism and women in music and all of that, I'm going to be playing only women on the program this week. Up first, I have the Raincoats. Have you ever heard of them? No. No. Uh, they were a sort I of generally thing. don't listen to women artists. Oh, very. Thank you. That's really helpful. <laughs> they were... Blondie. <laughs> they came out of the punk movement in London probably before punk actually finished. They were post-punk, probably, before punk finished. Here they are with a song that was originally recorded by the Kinks called Lola, which is a great favourite of probably Mm. everybody. Everybody will have heard this song. This is their version. Here it goes. 
Our next guest, Dr. John R. Neeson, is a painter, installation artist, curator and writer. And he grew up here on the Mornington Peninsula and his father, when his father worked here at Point Nepean, when it was a military facility, which afforded him access to the area when it was still forbidden to many of us that stared longingly over the fences and wondered what was going on in there. His latest body of work has just culminated in an open day last weekend at Police Point after a six-week residency there. John's been making site-specific art for more than 25 years all over the world and he's also a curator and has curated exhibitions at Heidi Museum of Modern Art, the VCA, the New York AC Institute and the Ballarat Fine Art Gallery just to mention a few. He's a PhD from Monash University and as a Samstag scholar completed postgraduate research at the Royal College of Art in London. His unique practice centres on venue-specific installations that reference the locations in which they are made and subsequently experienced by the observer. And he's here to talk to us about uh, uh, just before he heads home to Melbourne after his time at Police Point. Good morning, John. Welcome to Arts About. Hi, Billy. How are you this morning? Have you enjoyed it? Oh, yes. I have, yes. I'm just watching people walking and looking in the mirror and now they're heading towards the painting. So it's good to have the public seeing the work. Can For the for our listeners, can you describe what this um, installation is that you have just done down there at Point Nepean? Yeah, sure. Um, the paintings are all paintings of aspects of the site the landscape and the sky in particular, as they're reflected in a, in a mirror. And um, so these paintings and the mirror are on easels, um, field easels, you know, for painting outside, that are distributed across the park. So people come along, are intrigued by the mirror first, and then... Later, as they proceed down towards the end of the park, there's paintings on easels that were derived from the mirror. So what you're interested in, and I guess, uh, is the interaction of the location, the viewer, and the work. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, I'm interested in using the location as both the source of the imagery of painting and... Um, place where they're exhibited, I suppose, in parenthesis, exhibited or installed. And then I think that um, when the public look at the work, they can sort of um, get an idea of the process. They can put themselves in the place of the, as myself, as, as the painter, and um, see what I've done. Because there is something sort of funny about a mirror I mean even ever since I was a child I suppose I've always looked in and you, you almost want to look around the corner to see the reality it's a, it's another version of reality that's kind of you know a bit scary too I guess yeah, yeah it's odd oh, well, uh, the thing is that the paintings are actually of objects or not objects but aspects of the landscape that are behind you mm. so I've just I've just been watching a woman who's looking at one of the paintings, and then she's turned around to see what the reflection Yes, what it of. was. Yeah. Yes. Well, so I, I, I did the same whole thing. engagement with the source of the material as well as the material itself. Mirror's and, very um, interesting, John. 
Um, hi, and, John. Hi, John. One of, one of the things that's interested me about them is that um, I quite sort of, I don't know whether foolishly is the right word, but as a young man I used to wonder why a mirror reflected, reversed things laterally but not hor- not vertically. Oh, yes. And, oh, yes, which, of course, a camera yeah. lens does, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I hadn't thought about it. Yeah, it doesn't turn things upside down. No, it? it doesn't. No. Um, and I also used to wonder about uh, whether or not what you were looking at in a mirror was, in fact, um, still exists because there's an amount of time that it takes bet- between your view of the mirror and then the light travelling back to you. It's a very, yeah. it's a very small amount of time. It certainly is. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a matter of time nonetheless. But I loved looking at them the other day, partly because of that thing about what you're actually looking at is over your shoulder, yeah. uh, which makes it important to see them, I think, in situ because as soon as they're removed from the site, I gather they're... Uh, they become a um, a view like any other, although in reverse. That's right. Yeah, yeah. here ideally they they should be yeah seen on site, which is uh, you know a wonderful idea, but not very good economical no. speaking. No. Um, unless I get a, I get a commission to do, which I have done a couple of things like that. So somebody they're actually going to be in the place where they're painted. Well, there are a lot lot of aspects of looking over your shoulder, uh, which uh, can be introduced into um, what you're doing. Um, You know, people are often advised not to look over their shoulder um, for various reasons. Um, And... uh, uh, But that's definitely a way of doing it. Also, it sort of has... There's something about driving a car involved, you know, because in a car um, you're offered that view constantly. You're looking in the rear vision mirror or the side That's mirrors right, to yeah. see what's behind you or over your shoulder. You know, I think we use mirrors a lot. You know, you always have a bathroom mirror yeah. in a car. Mm. Mm. And I think our means of using them, I think our means of using mirrors and perceiving what is in a mirror is fairly sophisticated, because, particularly because of that driving thing, I think. You know, you're, you're mm. actually able, you, your mind is turning it round for you. It's very, it is very interesting and quite complex, actually, I think, isn't it? <coughs> that, well, if the mirror has got an image in it always, hasn't it? So it is mm. like related very closely to... to a painting, but it's not necessarily a static image, but mm. it's an image. Mm. And we use mirrors all the time. Well, the John, mirrors are often used in studios, of course. Artists use mirrors for all sorts of things, for uh, getting the a, being able to reverse a painting yeah. um, and have a look at it in reverse. And uh, as Mark was saying earlier, being able to have a look at the back of a sculpture from the side that you're actually on. Oh, um, yeah, right. Oh, and a self-portrait. So there's a lot of, I think there's a, a relationship to the self-portrait in a strange way with these works. So, I mean, you're not, I'm not in the mirror. No, so <laughs> exactly. I have to paint myself away. Yeah. Were you yeah. tempted to put a little corner of your face in a mirror? No. 
<laughs> well, I have to admit that I've done that for you, John, because I, I took a photograph of John while we were down there with his face reflected in his oh, mirror, yeah. and I'm going to put it on our Facebook page so our listeners can perhaps have a look at you. Okay. And now you spent six weeks working down there and uh, at the uh, police point. Have your memories of the place been updated significantly since you were there as a child? Yeah. Yeah, it's quite different, yeah. isn't it? I was more familiar with the quarantine station and all the way down to the point the PM than with the houses when you first came in, but I do remember them um, vaguely, you know. Um, but yeah. my strongest memory is of the army base, the quarantine station and the fort. Yes. My dad used to take me down there with my lunch. He'd go oh. to work and I'd just explore. Oh, how being amazing. Care, being careful not to step on an unexploded mine. Well, that's what we were always told as children. We, we would stand on the other side of the fence. I remember particularly at Portsea, you know, looking through there and thinking, you know, wishing that we were brave enough or allowed to kind of scramble <laughs> through the fence and go and find out. But we were also kind of fearful knowing that we, we were always being told that there were unexploded yeah, bombs yeah, there. Because I used to do gunnery practice. And ah, there. Yeah, they did. Yeah. There was a very well-worn hole through the fence and the uh, ocean beach side round onto Cheviot Beach and round that way you could walk around yeah. the ocean beaches. Did you go surfing down there at all? No, I wasn't a big surfer. I used, if I did surf, I just used to go to Portsea or right. down a mat or somewhere. Well, it's um, a wonderful thing that we have that finally these houses have been restored to some degree and are enabling artists to come back, come down here and and work and use the circumstances. It's a pity uh, that, that they don't seem to be quite so organised to get the word out there well enough yet. And uh, uh, it's wonderful that we've got artists such as you um, down here creating work. Uh, it would be wonderful to... I know that sort of later on, perhaps uh, later on this year, I know that the NPRG are hoping to put together an exhibition of various artists' work who have been in residence there and maybe uh, a lot of our listeners might be able to get a chance to see yours if they do organise it. We'll certainly make sure that they know about it. Thanks so much for talking to us today, uh, John Neeson. It's, uh, it's been wonderful and I hope you've had a great experience down there. Oh, it's been amazing. I've only got a few hours left and oh. I have to go. Well, so, enjoy um, it. Sorry to intrude on it. Oh, no, that's all right because I'm here sitting outside and the public is coming past and um, so I'm invigilating, shall we say. <laughs> Terrific. I'll put some images on our Facebook page so our listeners can uh, see you and see some of your work. Thanks again for talking to okay, us today. Okay, nice to talk to you and to John. See you later, John. Bye, Bye. John. Cheers. Bye. I'm going to play an Australian artist, um, Deb Conway with Do Re Mi, and this is a track of hers called Man Overboard before we listen to Tracy Hutchinson <coughs> in just a moment. Friend of the show, TV, radio broadcaster, journalist, commentator, producer, director and author with more than a passing interest in social justice issues throughout her career, Tracy Hutchison is back on the show today, reminding us of the Women in Music Awards coming up in Brisbane later on this year. An incredible list of prominent women in the Australian music industry have joined forces to support the inaugural Australian Women in Music Awards and Forum that's going to be staged at the Brisbane Powerhouse over the 9th and 10th of October this year. 
At this event, the spotlight's going to be turned on all the incredible women whose efforts have gone into creating an industry we're all familiar with in 14 categories. Tracy joins us this morning to press the point further and to tell us how we can get to vote in this amazing new initiative. <laughs> Hi, Tracy. Hi, Sal. Thanks. So happy to be back at our double P, friend of Arts About, of course. Yes, friend great of friend you. of the show. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, you've had your work cut out for you. I know you've been pretty uh, busy for the last couple of months getting mm. this organised. We had you on, uh, it was probably a couple of months March. ago, yeah. To, yeah. to announce the awards coming up. Mm. But now, of course, in the last week, the call out for nominations has occurred. Incredibly exciting, mm. overwhelming, um, overwhelming in terms of what we're uh, trying to build, but overwhelming also in terms of the response that we've had from women and and the broader industry, actually. And I think there is a growing realisation around the way in which this is being embraced that um, this really is um, overdue and it mm-hmm. really is something that um, I think a whole range of people across our sector are, are, are really celebrating and embracing and absolutely, in the words of one of our patrons, um, little Patty Amphlett, Patricia Amphlett, who sang that very famous It's Time mm. uh, lyric in the 1972 election. Yes, I um, remember it well. So she is absolutely on point with this because, you know, we do feel it's time and um, we've, uh, we, we the, the call for nominations uh, has just opened and the announcement of these 14 award categories that are really unlike any other award ceremony and award categories that uh, Australian Music Awards generally present. So what we've tried really hard to do in the breadth of the award categories is, is really recognise the breadth of contribution that women make in Australian music. So yes, there is artistic excellence, music excellence, breakthrough songwriter, but uh, breakthrough artist, best songwriter, um, best best sort of um, uh, performance categories. There are also award categories for women who are working in areas around creative leadership or music leadership. So, for example, if you're one of the few women who might be the chief executive of uh, a music-based organisation, uh, you'll have an opportunity to be recognised for the work that you do and the, and the, and the leadership that you show uh, within your particular area and that might be through um, it might be through publishing it might be you know leading up um, uh, you know a small record company uh, it might be through um, running a label you might be one of the few A&R managers in a record company so recognizing that and the other award that is really unusual and and unlike anything I've seen is is a cre- is the creative leadership award and the creative leadership award is a curatorial award that will um is open up to women who are working in creative programming or content creation mm. across festivals so a festival director uh, it might be across uh, a live performance a, a, a venue booker or you might be working in a media setting as a, as a content maker or a writer or a broadcaster. And if your work is about, you know, the creative programming to champion women artists, so someone like yourself, Sal, who 
champions women artists in the breadth of the work that you do, that that's actually an opportunity to have your work recognised. And I think, you know, it is a kind of a a moment to also understand that, you know, women women actually work in a whole range of different ways uh, to men in in the music industry. Men, we know, occupy the most visible places within the structure of the industry. Mm. So, for example, through ARIA, uh, I think we've talked before about the ARIA board being yep. exclusively men because the key criteria to be on the ARIA board is that you have to run or own a major record company. And therein lies a really structural challenge for the music industry uh, because we know whoever's making the decisions has a particular skewed view. And if you're not seeing um, a a level playing field around gender, then the decision-making is going to reflect that. So this is really about an opportunity to um, proactively recognise women uh, who are doing fantastic things and proactively create an opportunity for those women to be seen to be recognised and to be celebrated. And through that visibility, we, we know that, that that's an empowering thing for other women to, to, to recognise. And these are also career-defining moments, mm. you know, to be, I'm an award-winning singer-songwriter, I'm an award-winning producer, I'm an award-winning winning music photographer, I'm an award-winning... not many women who can say that. That's right, because generally if those categories come up... Um, doesn't mean there aren't fantastic women producing records or producing music in Australia. There are. But if that woman comes up against um, a record that might have been produced by one of our highest-selling male artists in that particular year, the chances are whoever produced that record most likely would be a man and most likely would win that category. So it's about actually, for the first time, creating 14 award categories that will be all about celebrating women in the, in their particular area of expertise and how has the industry responded well i think there was initially uh from some aspects of the industry there's been a sense of why are you doing this and i think you know we didn't we don't create the stats around the underrepresentation of women and i think when you actually look at those stats you know that's why this is happening and it's happening because the stats continue to say that women are underrepresented. So I think when people get their head around that, they can they can recognise that you mm. know we, we do need to do something about this to address the balance. And this one is a, a, just a very visible, very demonstrable outcomes oriented um, initiative because it means that fourteen women are going to walk on stage and go home with an award mm. at the end of an award ceremony. So much like what the Stella Prize for Literature has done for women, we've talked about this before, the AFLW, um, seeing women uh, in visible positions, um, being celebrated, being honoured, being valued uh, is a really important thing. Since we launched in March and we've been very privileged to be um, carrying with us the legacies of two posthumous patrons, one of whom is the late Auntie Ruby Hunter, and the and the impact of that on young First Nations singer songwriters. Just anecdotally, young women who have said to us, um, "This is an incredible thing for us to see Auntie Ruby there because we're not used to seeing ourselves on these sorts of national platforms, and to see her there, uh, even in you know though she's no longer with us." She remains then this fantastic beacon and 
uh, role model. Inspirational and role in, model. Absolutely. Mm. And, and that's been very powerful. Mm. Well, in the spirit of inclusion, of course, now there's the, the opportunity for the general public to have their say as well. So how do they do that? So if you go to the nominations page, womeninmusicawards.com.au, you'll see the nominations page there. And the beauty of, of the structure around the nominations process is that you can nominate yourself and we encourage women who feel really proud and passionate about their practice to do that. But we also really encourage uh, women and men to think about brilliant women that they know that might not non- nominate themselves. So there are two ways to do it. You can self-nominate or nominate someone mm-hmm. else. Yep. And I, I just think that that's a kind of an inspired um, strategy um, coming out of the vision of the of the founding director of the Women in Music Awards, Vicky Gordon, uh, whose vision for this has sort of been about 30 years in the making. I've known her for that long. We're thrilled that we've been able to get the support of a, a female-led state government in Australia, in Anastasia Palaszczuk's Queensland government. This is a, a, a really important legacy, I think, for her as well. Well, I'm going to put links for, for all of that on the Facebook page, of course, so that people can do that easily. Uh, it's been wonderful talking to you today. Thanks for coming in and, uh, and chatting with us about it. And as Patty Amphlett did say all those years ago, it's time. That gave us all a bit of a scare, didn't it? Yeah, it was a bit weird. Hearing ourselves while we were in the middle of the show. John on indeed. John on indeed. It's time for John yeah. on. Um, as I was saying, <coughs> sorry, as I was saying earlier, we had the opportunity to go and have a look at the MoMA show. I imagine, Mark, that you walked through that show alone. Did you? Because I did, you were John, pretty well gone before in. we got there. I was in and gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no one there but the guards. It was lovely. Well, great opportunity for you to do that, although I don't mind having people around to um, have a chat to some things about. Mm. I don't mind a few, but I don't like those sort of walls of people where you just have to stand and wait while no. to get through to No, you have, have to spear ahead, mm. have to forge your way ahead and then go back to the beginning at well, the We end. were all extremely lucky because we got to go to the immediate opening of the th- new MoMA show at the NGV. Yeah, I think the great aspect of being alone is that you can see all the paintings at the one time stand in a room and turn yeah yeah and mm. so you, you and you can compare i think that's what i, I love about that did you <coughs> you didn't happen to measure the amount of time it takes for you to stand in front of a work of art no um i guess it depends what your relationship to time is john um i've got a really quite a fast relationship to it so I take it in seven seconds it's also no I don't know I don't really count it's because a lot of the paintings I know already so I'm I'm re you're revisiting some of them I hadn't seen but um yeah yeah I don't count that's perhaps uh, an interesting point that they're paintings that you know already um you know the images uh you don't necessarily know that have you seen the paintings regularly uh, well, I was in Momo quite a few times in, through the years in the in the eighties and nineties, uh, so I know them. And a couple mm. of this George Charat is from from France originally. It was a beautiful painting of on Fleur. Oh, do you know what we noticed about that? That was really extraordinary because that was one of the, that was in that very first very room. First, that yes. painting, I can't remember what it's called, but it was uh, Afternoon on Fleur. Yes. Mm. Uh, there, did you notice that even the dots went out across the frame of yes, the painting? I did yes, that. Yes, Amanda picked yeah, that up. Yeah, we that were all a, kind of oh my goodness. Uh, no, that's true, I, and I. I wonder how uh, there's Howard Hodgkin who paints on um, his frames, whether he got that idea from there. 
putting all those dots. He just couldn't stop putting dots on. The hands going dot 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 the wall of his studio. Damien Hurst is into it now, dotting. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not quite the same. But no, it's quite not quite the same. Well, for me, sorry. Poor John is still suffering a dreadful cold after weeks. For me. Looking at those paintings, some of those paintings, not all of them, but some of those paintings gives you the moment where you can, um, where I can fully understand what it is that art does. And um, amongst those paintings would certainly be the the Chirico, which uh, was really fabulous to see. And uh, the Picasso of the uh, the bather. The bather, bather, isn't that glorious? And these are, they're works of art that have absolute clout Mm. And yeah. you cannot um, ignore them. You can't just think to yourself, well, I've seen a picture of that before or I've seen that painting before. Or uh, Just to be near them is enough to sort of... I, I find it very moving, actually. Mm. Yeah, that, particularly Picasso the Bather was one that I noticed very clearly because it's almost like a sculpture. Yeah. And it is really mm. probably a painting of a sculpture. But I've heard people have, some uh, women have um, complained that his depiction of women is often um, very cruel and sexist. Well, it's um, not kind to women, the painting. Well, I mean, I don't think it's meant to be. Oh, no. really? I don't. I don't see that at all. No. Well, look, that's the thing. It, it has. It has happened. But this painting is. You know, the, her face is like a claw, and her body's just being sort of ripped apart, basically. But it's a construction of a. You know, it's a sculptural construction in a painting, and and you know, when you look at the simplicity of the background, and the his uh, the water, which is just flat you know, water. But what we don't know is, it looks like it's been done very quickly, but he actually did spend a lot of time on this painting. I'm sure he did. changing. Because it's very complex, the, the, the construction yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, very mm. much so. There's so a number of versions of it. Are there? Uh, yes, yeah, there was a yeah. series. Mm. Um, <coughs> so it's fabulous to see that. Mm. Um, I like that... Um, there's a bronze in there, brass or bronze. It's uh, Umbuto Boccioni's uh, The Figure in Space. I yeah. love that. It is, I've, I've written about it. Have it is, you? The, it is the, the, one of the, I, I don't want to use this word, one of the best sculptures of the 20th century. Uh, well, mm. it's, yes. it, and he made that in about 1914, 15, and he was part of the futurist movement. Right. And so loved, loved speed and died, uh, as in going fast, um, and died during the First World War, falling from his horse. As many of them did. 31. Because it was it was so unusual in uh, in that it was um, there was so much movement as a br- bronzes are so often uh, sort of rounded and heavy and thick and so on and this this was dynamic and mm. it had action mm. in it and it was oh it was terrific no, it looked like an action figure well was, this is it this is what the futurism yes. was all about that you've got people like Giacomo Bale and there was a painting of his there as well there's a famous one of the woman walking the dog it's like a dash hound and yeah. you can see the, the leash sort of bouncing they were very much into the idea of movement in painting which was obviously the opposite of what you re- we expect it's more about stillness except when it's you know, literary and war scenes and things but he, he, they were How do you think that. he went about making that? Mate? The sculpture would have been made in clay first, then, right. then into plaster. And the plaster he would have worked on, because the clay couldn't have got to such detail, and then cast into bronze. And once cast, then polished? Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. high pattern, like Brancusi. Yeah. You know, get the high patterns on the bronze. It's really because the bronze starts to look like a sort of brass. 
That one is, does a bit. It does, yes. It's very yellow, I think yellow, grass has just because it's got more tin in it. But, yeah, um, I, I, yeah, yeah perhaps. I, I, and the thing is, I'm not sure if that's the one, the, because there are different sizes, I think, also of that, that right. sculpture, because it was such a success. It was, I mean, I don't know if it, in the time, mm-hmm. but uh, I know for me it's a very, because it just, it, it is a beautiful object. Yes, it is. The way it sits there. So, <coughs> as one wandered through the exhibition, uh, there are those objects, which were fabulous to see. Um, the little Frida Kahlo is nice to look at. Yes. You know, mm, to... With cutting, with it, one that she cut all her hair off. Yeah. Yes, in the suit. Uh, yeah, it had to be a story. And then um, round the corner and bang into Franz Klein. And I just love Franz Klein. I think that it's fabulous. That He's stuff. a great painter. That wasn't mm. one of his better ones, I think. He's the, but it was still Although a... it's a very well-known one. Yeah. Probably because of its part in the collection. In the, the MoMA collection, just the, it was the black and white one, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There was Klein, and there was Jackson Pollock, a very lovely long. Yeah, Jackson I didn't Pollock. like the Pollock. I didn't, I didn't like the Pollock either uh, much. You didn't yeah. like it? No, I think it's dated and. I look calligraphic. Tedious. It looked very, very sort of. Uh, it did look dated. It but did it look dated. Do you know that it? at the end of his life, he was sick to death of painting drip painting. I'm sure he was. He said to 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 Leo Castelli, "That's it. I'm not going to go and drink myself stupid. I'm not going to do any more um, drip painting." And then he did. You know, he died, but if you have, do you know his? Have you seen his previous paintings before he did drip paintings? The, the Goddess series, which is just the most <coughs> beautiful things. Yeah, they are. They're worth seeing if you look. If you don't like Pollock, Will, said, Will talked about seeing. Uh, I think it may have been in the Guggenheim. Um, a, a series of Pollock's uh, works on paper, and he has not stopped talking about it for you know ever since he saw it. But there were drips on paper. Or no, they no. weren't. No, no. no, no he no, was. He was yeah. very much. Um, under the uh, influence of Ashel Gorky yeah. for quite a long time, and they're Gorky-like paintings, those earlier Pollocks, and well, they're far superior to the drip paintings, I reckon. Who, the Gorky? Well, Pollock's Gorky period. Mm, uh, yeah, I, I don't agree. I think... You, yeah, well, you don't, there's no need for you to agree. <laughs> I know. No, no, but the... <laughs> The drip paintings have uh, even the um, what's it called the blue poles is is uh, extraordinary painting. And when yeah. you see them, I mean, the thing is when you see people, you know, the experience of this exhibition for me was you, a couple of the early French people like Surratt, and then you get get into Rothko and Klein and Pollock, etc. And then you go into nothingness. There's a, you know, Jeff Koons and yeah. Robert. Uh, Gober, who did the wax leg in the corner, he was really bigger than oh, the 90s. Yeah. He was huge. Really? Yeah, yeah. And, that and I mean, Jeff Koons is just sort of um, inevitably there. He's, which was the Jeff Koons one? They were the two um, uh, vacuum cleaners. Oh, which, yes. Which are, oh, yeah, look, no, that's I saw that. those in the, in the late 80s in New York, and they were a whole, had a whole exhibition of vacuum cleaners in these personal. I think Duchamp has done that. No, Duchamp didn't do vacuum cleaners. <laughs> no, he didn't do no, vacuum cleaners. He's, he's but he looked from, at things. Yes. Well, yeah, he's coming from there, the, the choosing <clears throat> the, of an industrial object and putting it into a gallery mm. space. Um, also in the room with the Franz Klein uh, and the um, Pollock was the Rothko. Yeah. yeah, the Rothko. Rothko always gives off something, yes. you know, there's something wasn't, coming off that. It's not a great one, but, no. it's, uh, but there was something emanating from yeah. there. And the, also the uh, Barnett Newman. I love Barnett Newman. That was not a good one. The zip? No, it wasn't a good one. It wasn't big enough. No. It was too small. But I also, yeah, he's a brilliant, brilliant painter. Yeah. And um, part of the reasoning behind seeing all of those paintings as great paintings, I think, and perhaps as the, po- the Pollock being a little bit of a failure for me, is that um, what I want from a painting is the sense that the artist meant it 
you know, that it's not driven by things outside of their own concerns, that it's not driven by gimmicks or uh, a need to make money, perhaps, or something like that. I think the Pollock was a bit gimmicky. Um, the, um, the Klein absolutely just Franz Klein doing what he felt he needed to do. Utterly sincere painting. Mm. It's just as sincere the Pollock. It's a, I mean, how can you possibly say that the Klein's more sincere than the Pollock? It's John? a gimmick. Dripping is a gimmick. But it's a, it's not a gimmick in any way at all. He was discovering a way of putting paint on which, you know, if you look at the the uh, brain, the neurons in our brain, they have a very similar um, <coughs> vision as as his drip paintings did. It's true that he got sick of them. It wasn't a gimmick in the beginning. It be, perhaps became one. But then, so you could say that about Klein. Klein just ripped out those you know, massive and Rothko. You could say the Rothko, well, Rothko's suicide because he'd had enough of it. You know, he'd got sick to, sick of it, sick to death of painting you know, another spiritual experience on a painting. And, and this is well happens. because he couldn't make it meaningful enough. It no longer had any meaning. Yeah. But this is why when you say it's being sincere or not sincere, it's a very much. Uh, it's more to do with your emotional state than theirs. I think very much so. Mm-hmm. But you, um, I'm happy to to argue with you. Yeah, we can sort of. I reckon at this point drift seamlessly from John on into... Into uh, Mark on. Into Mark on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, once again, you've taken a lot of what I was about to say, but you know, the thing about this exhibition is, firstly, it's <coughs> only because the Momo was doing renovations and that they had to get rid of some paintings and you know, Melbourne's a long way away so they could send them over. Oh, That's, I think if you'd listened to the director, whose name I'm not going to remember. Right Tony Elwood. No, no, no. Tony was talking with the director oh, the of guy, Moma. Um, and uh, And there was a lot of sincerity. There was a lot of love in the room wasn't there when they were talking to each other but they they were talking about how he he was saying it was very interesting to see this collection in a completely different circumstance and to see how a completely different audience might react to it and yeah but that's what they say well maybe they do but it's uh, it's it's to our great benefit yeah the big question that the show leaves for everyone i reckon is that the is the second half of that exhibition dull because of well, this the is exhibition or, this or is, because that period of art was dull? It's, it's, I think it's both. I think that yeah. period of art is, you know, it's become sort of text-based and, and conceptual. It doesn't travel as well as you know, what... But then you know, we're talking... We, we are of a certain age where you know, Rothko and, and Klein and Pollock and company were really were the exciting. Heavyweights, yeah. and, the, and so we, <clears throat> we have this image... It's something which happens to to, to many people in, um, for example, buying cars. The you know, Shannons they're no longer selling GTHO three fifty one Fords because the people baby boomers are all dying, and and uh, the younger generation doesn't want that. They, they want cars them. they flashed on in their adolescence, and yeah. I think this has a bigger effect on on how we look at things in in the future. Is um, you know, what we flashed on, but I do agree that the second part there was nothing in there. There was just nothing. There was nothing you could really grab hold of. I'd like to know if it, you know, maybe younger people can find something we've missed. Cindy Sherman. Oh my God, the worst of the possible worst is Cindy <laughs> Sherman. She is so bad, way up there with um, uh, quite a few others who I won't mention. Anyway, the first painting we saw was Dali's um, uh, new oh. woman in the desert that Tony was talking about. I'm not sure if Tony was very sincere in p- picking that painting and, and uh, whether it was just because people recognised it's Dali. He was, he was a good painter of miniatures. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, he, was a, he was a miniature painter. He was, was wasn't he? Yeah, he was. was. He, so, you can so, get up so, so close so with a microphone. Um, a, great, a huge masturbator. 
And a, uh, and a coprophiliac too, probably. Oh, okay, so mm. you know, he had quite a few things going for him. <laughs> and, in, and in Paris in the 80s, they used to show ads, advertisements on the television of Dali selling soap in the 50s and 60s. And so you know, he, he did sell out eventually. But that painting, it's not a, it's not a bad one. I it's one with a melted clock, isn't it? Uh, well, there's a lot what's of... It, what's it called? It's not called that, though. It's, no, it's like it's, Passage of Time or... No, yeah, what is it? A, his miniature still skill in painting receding or melting objects in a desert landscape is quite good. Yeah. But his subject matter always clangs, as far as I'm concerned. But then you've got that George Surratt painting, which is yes. everybody must see. It's a really and that a beautiful, beautiful Gauguin. Evocation. There's the Gauguin as well, as also. And there's... there's Paul, I will astonish Paris with an apple, Cezanne. Well, yeah. it's, it's, hard, to, it's and, hard not to be stunned by Cezanne. That's frankly. true. I totally yeah. agree. When you mm. look at that work, you, you, it's almost as if it's like looking at some of Michelangelo's sculptures. You're seeing them doing it still yeah. because they haven't finished they it. They haven't finished and it. And you can yes, see the drawing the, underneath. You can see the yes, bare patches. You terrific. can actually see the construction, which is something which... When you look at um, sculptures of um, this, uh, Benini, for example, you look at his his uh, studies, they're stunning, the studies in clay, and they, you know, they're sort of unfinished, a bit like constable studies. And you can see the, the people who saw them afterwards realise that there is more power in the study than the finished product. Right. And this is why Cezanne is so powerful, and Picasso in many ways, they knew when to stop. You know, yes. And went, move on. They weren't going, trying to make it perfect. Another painting which you probably both saw was uh, Andre Durain's uh, Bathers, yep. which was a large painting, mm -hmm. basically still life's uh, drawings, but put into the painting. He was a very big, big influence on Gorky and on um, Pollock, etc. If you look at some mm. of Andre Durain's paintings, there's a drips going on in there. The you can see where they come from. He's a very good painter, very well, mm. not very well known. There was the Matisse, and then there was the Boccioni sculpture, which is just extraordinary. Uh, oh, Piet Mondrian. Yeah. When nice you, to see oh, the Mondrian. I, yeah. Yes, and the Piet, I love the, the, four, the, just the, the one that was on the end. The, the losange. The yes. losange with the grey lines, yes. four grey lines. I bought a pair of Mondrian socks in the shop. Oh, he did right. too. Well, good on you. He, if, you. if you ever look at Mondrian's early early paintings of uh, seascapes, small seascapes with enormous space in them, and his very famous uh, tree paintings, yeah. you realise where he's going to and yeah. that, he, that he, he arrives here. A lot of people go, what the hell is this? Because no, terrific to see both those works. So. Well, the thing is that you know, it's the ultimate elegance, don't you think? It's mm -hmm. of space and elegance and, and understated, hum you know, there's a humbleness there which a lot of contemporary artists could learn from. Not an accident in it. Not an accent, no, not as not like with um, uh, Picasso. Uh, Edward Hopper's gas station, also yeah. beautiful, oh, yes, luminous, yeah. very luminous painting. Just so, I don't know, you know, it's just a gas station in upstate New York, but there was a luminosity about it, which is lovely. Um, then we go to the second, you know, as you said, the second section, and there's nothing there. It's just except you know, the vacuum cleaners of Jeff Koons and Robert Gover's wax leg, which you've probably never heard of. Now, Klaus Oldenburg, I think, is quite interesting. Uh, the Oldenburg, but he's sort of soft fan. Oh, I hate Oldenburg. <laughs> Which one was that? The big black fan that was all soft. And oh, hanging. yeah. He was big in the six, very big yeah. in the sixties. He's all over. He does huge pegs, and yeah. everything's out of size and out of date. Um, there's also an Acker. Uh, dwelling Poetically, Mexico City, a case study. Yes. Apparently there's a few films and things going on there. Oh, it's so Hacker it's at the moment, seeing. is it? <coughs> yeah. Mm, um, okay. And they're also going to invest in the in the arts precinct uh, enormously. Apparently. Enormously. Well, that's what they were all at the, at the NGV while we at the opening there. They they're were absolutely... About. 
they were wetting themselves with mm. excitement over I'm sure the I'd news. Like to see Tony wetting himself. No, well, it was, it was more Martin Foley and uh, <laughs> yeah. and the woman. Now, uh, just to finish, there's uh, the Weekend Australian, which is a magazine a newspaper I do like, but sometimes their headings are really bad. For example, Dorothy Hewitt, who's a poet I've never read, but I heard of, of mm-hmm. her, and the, the, the headline is, Mum's Men Used Us for Underage Sex, Hewitt's Daughters. And it's once again, you're putting, bringing down your, your famous parent by, and making some money by talking about something which but happened it is in the also 70s. I find that just outrageous. They're revealing disgusting. that they had horrid lives. Well, they didn't have horrid lives. Other just, people's behaviour. Well, it sounds like they did, actually. Well, I don't. Well, it doesn't. I don't actually think they did. They really have horrid lives, or well, they just I had. Know, you know, I don't know. It's the first time. They're I've just heard making of it. a bit of money out of it now. Now we. Uh, I'm afraid to say that we're going to have to wind up. We oh. have. We have run out of time. I just can I just speak Ronald Ron down. No. Well, look, so, look what the time is. Sexually promiscuous, racist, sexist, a liar, and something of a bully. That's Ronald Dow, apparently, according yes. to his wife. Yes. And we're talking about famous writers and what bastards they are. Well, we okay, can have well, one of those a week, I reckon. Yeah, we can. <laughs> So uh, if you've just tuned in, you've missed Arts About. And you can hear the repeat on Wednesdays at 12, or you can listen to our podcasts, or you can go to the website and, well, you can get the podcast there, or you can hear the repeat on Wednesdays at 12. No time for news. No, not even any time for the news. No, there isn't. And there's lots of links to things on our Facebook page uh, if you've missed something or you'd like to find out a little bit more about what we've been talking about. And remember, everybody, uh, we may not know... Everything about art. Well, apparently we know what we like. But I liked Salvador Dali's remark in a cinema where he watched a surrealist movie and then in the 1950s he stood up and said, How dare he! I was about to do that. <laughs> <laughs>